0: burning books with eric beck rubin
1: hello and welcome to episode 23 of the burning books podcast where we discuss celebrate and explore great books very good books books in which there's something to appreciate or admire as well as books that are the opposites of all those things Today, we're looking squarely at a book in which there's much to admire, a book that intrigues. The author is César Era, who has been producing what we would call short novels, but what he calls fictions, sub-200 page stories, at a rate of three to four per year for about a quarter of a century, which is like before I was born or something. The book we're looking at today, Shantytown, was published in Spanish, or as George Bush might have called it, Argentine. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. In 2001, and it was translated into English by Chris Andrews in 2013. Vamanos! I've mentioned before that when I'm psyched for a book, I don't read the press, jacket copy, or anything about it, and I was excited for this book. Cesar Era is a name that has recurred in my literary universe, principally due to the popularity of An Episode in the Life of a Landscape Painter, which was published in 2000. If there was bad press about that book, I didn't find it. So when I came across this beautiful little copy of Shantytown, sharply published by the usually dependable New Directions, I dove right in. Dove right in, and immediately got lost. This is not a bad thing, it's just a thing, but About halfway through the story, I did get curious about what others thought the book was about, so I looked at the synopsis on the back, which said this.
0: A corrupt, trigger-happy policeman will use anyone, including two innocent teenage girls, to break up a drug ring that he believes is operating within Buenos Aires' famed Shantytown. Shantytown combines era's fascination with urban violence and the sinister side of Latin American politics with The Kindness of Strangers, A Bizarre New Drug, a secret code within a carousel of pirated lights, and murder.
1: I happily offer this brief outline because it has exactly zero to do with the contents of the book. The trigger-happy cop? A secondary character. The drug ring? Background noise. Latin American politics? Perhaps in the sense that the word politics is derived from the word police, meaning city, but I'm pretty sure that's not what was meant in this case. Nor were those politics revolving around the gap between rich and poor, specific to Latin America. At the same time, the foreground elements of the story seem to be missing completely. There's the Calle Bonorino, the street around which all the action takes place. There's the kind-hearted Maxi, the high school dropout who traffics between the high-end and slum-settled poles of the aforesaid Calle Bonorino. There's the cardboard collection ring that Maxi stumbles onto and, in effect, joins, granting him access to the shantytown. There's the shady evangelical preacher the fearsome female vigilante, Judge Plaza. There's Maxie's sister and her friend, each of whom is connected in some way to the shantytown. Having said that though, none of that really matters. And that's because plot, outline, direction, these are not what shantytown is about. Cesar Era has written what can be called a novel, but like politics, I'm using novel in a particular sense, as something new, as something that is always new. A number of episodes back, I spoke with the critic Scott Esposito about Rainer Maria Rilke's wonderfully strange novel, The Notebooks of Malte Laurez Briga. Thanks, Scott. You're welcome. When I mentioned on Twitter I was reading Ara's Shantytown, Scott kindly directed me to an interview he conducted with the author, Cesar Era, for issue 49 of the literary journal Tin House. And this, to someone ignorant of Era, like myself, was extremely edifying. There are two terms Era uses to describe his writing, the continuum and the constant flight forward. They mean slightly different things. Era describes the continuum as a kind of Mobius strip. It's
0: an attempt to put in the story's path without interruptions, cuts, or jumps, those things that give literature its shape.
1: Once you're on the continuum, there is a natural momentum that keeps you going and going and going. As Era puts it,
0: I believe that literature begins to be worthwhile when it exceeds the state of intentions.
1: That is to say, literature becomes worthwhile when the telling of the story begins to fall out of the author's control. This is one reason ERA prefers the open ended term fiction to the more descriptive word book, with the latter's implication of front and back covers, meaning that a story has a beginning, middle, and end. The related term, the constant flight forward, is the sensation of being inside the Mobius strip, and it relates to the reader and the writer. César Era has admitted that he uses the constant flight forward as his writing process or technique, which means he doesn't revise a finished work. Once through, and it's time to move on. While Era probably would not use the word admit to describe his lack of revision, I do, specifically because such a lack can be a fault in his work. Era describes each of his works as a chapter in this process of trial and error, which means that entire books can be looked upon in retrospect, not that Error would look in retrospect, as errors. There's a sales pitch for you. However, if we hang tight for a moment, we can see there are different ways of responding to what Era says. One is to get your pants in a knot, as I did just now, and say, but how could a writer knowingly put out an error of a book? The other is to say, hey, at least this guy knows when he might not have it, as opposed to deluding himself that everything he shits is gold. To these responses, I'd add the following. First, I highly doubt Era knowingly puts out errors. Rather, he concedes that with his constant forward momentum, errors may occur. Second, Era values the process, the constant flight forward, for what it can and does create, even though it can sometimes fail in its goals. And third, and most importantly, A literary error by era is much, much better than many other literary errors we're going to come across in our reading life. In fact, I think it's fair to say that era's failures are often better than other authors' successes. My impression of Shantytown is that it is both a success and a failure. In the interview with Scott Esposito, Era mentions that great works are composed by writers who are both abundantly rational and abundantly mad. Era describes himself as an author who's dominated by the rational, not sufficiently mad. But that means that there is madness in him. And for most of the book, it's the flights into the irrational, the counterintuitive, the left field, and the mad, that makes the fiction intriguing. Let me tell you what I mean with reference to some of the action in the story. Shantytown starts off with Maxi, the protagonist of the story. He's gotten into the habit of helping the slum dwellers of Buenos Aires collect cardboard. Maxi is a big, strong man. He had time, so why not help the needy? The narrator creates a strange tension right off the bat, though. Maxi is described as generous and selfless, but also a meathead and a brainless hulk. And for their part, the slum dwellers are described as industrious and diligent, as well as scavengers. It's not that one kind of description cancels out the other. Vultures do seem industrious and diligent, and they are obviously scavengers. It's that these descriptions, at least initially, cause the reader to respond to the character in contradictory ways. Calling the cardboard-picking slum-dwellers industrious, for example, gives them positive connotations. Calling them scavengers gives them negative connotations. Same with the description of Maxi as a selfless meathead, or, elsewhere, as a humble realist legend. No character in this book is one thing or another. In fact, some characters morph into others, like the trigger-happy corrupt cop who becomes the grieving father of a murdered girl. The simplistic, if paradoxical, descriptions of Maxi and the cardboard collectors at the beginning of the book pulls the reader in multiple directions at once and signal to the larger games being played on a number of levels throughout the story namely that our preconceived positive and negative connotations for certain terms meathead, scavenger, industrious, etc., will be subject to revision. In the course of his work alongside the cardboard collectors of Buenos Aires, Maxi comes into contact with the shantytown. It's just down the block from where he's lived his entire life, but he's never actually gone there. As part of his cardboard collecting work, though, he is drawn into it little by little. First he approaches the edge, then he makes his way into the first streets. The thing he notices most about the shanty town it's damn bright.
0: The overall brightness resulted from the number of light bulbs suspended in the streets. Since the electricity was free, why skimp? There were ordinary 100 watt bulbs, hanging from cables tangled in the air. It looked festive. A garland of 10 little bulbs, a bunch of a half a dozen, a circle of 15 or 20, or rows, single, double, triple, or just two bulbs and a third above them, making a triangle. Every kind of combination all jumbled up in a display of fanciful creativity. It was like a natural growth, as if at this level of society, the lowest, technology had been reabsorbed by nature. As the days went by, Maxie began to realize that the number and arrangement of the bulbs was never the same from street to street. Each had its own pattern of lights, which must have functioned like a name. It would have been easier to number them. But if the shantytown really was circular, as Maxi thought, numbering the streets would have been no use, because the circle has no beginning or end.
1: In that short description, you learn a few more things about the shantytown. It has its own urban planning strategy, streets are denoted by symbols, not letters, and it has a circular shape, which gives it a kind of infinitude. A little later, It's explained that the streets of the shantytown all run at an approximately 45 degree angle off the Ring Road, which means that the center of the shantytown is not reached by these streets and is therefore dark, an empty and unknown space in the midst of what has been described as an overlit circumference. The impression given to the reader, then, is that in the middle of this otherwise normal city, Buenos Aires, there seems to exist a kind of galactic body, star-bright swirls around a black hole center. Meanwhile, dot, dot dot there is a parallel storyline involving Maxie's sister, Jessica, and her best friend, Vanessa, names that struck me as deliberately cartoonish. Like any pair of best friends, these two will occasionally turn into mortal enemies of one another, their fury sparked by the malevolent tinder of missed phone calls. But while the girls' names may be cartoonish, Era's description of their relationship, and the metaphysical implications of best friendship, the state of being almost too close to another person, are dead on.
0: She went to her bedroom, slammed the door behind her, rushed to the sliding glass doors that opened onto the balcony, and looked out. The windows of Vanessa's apartment were dark and empty. Since she was looking down from above, all she could see was a strip of floor. When their friendship had been running smoothly, Vanessa used to come to the window, and they would talk on the phone, looking at each other. The circumstances that had led to Jessica's decision to go out shopping, and therefore caused her to miss the call filled her now with an irrational hatred. She felt powerless in the face of time, paralyzed, yet deeply unsettled. It was almost as if her whole life had been one big mistake, and there was nothing she could do to correct it. But she could make a better job of it. All she had to do was to think and react in her usual way. In other words, be herself. Because deep down she and Vanessa were the same. Each was capable of anything the other one might do. And yet, strangely, when she set out about testing this method of being herself, she didn't feel herself at all.
1: And it's in Ere's descriptions of interactions, like the one before, as well as this one.
0: She spoke with quite a strong accent, which Maxie couldn't identify, but it had the merit of making her words, and even the situation, plausible. And this one. Vanessa was left gaping and gazing off into space with the expression of someone who has just been apprised of an amazing fact and must hurriedly reorganize everything she knows to make a place for it.
1: And many others like it that make Shantytown a pleasurable read. Ere is immensely economical, if such a thing can exist, with his syntax, which gives his representations of the world a sharp edge. And this was, for me, the principal thing that made the story worthwhile. What happens, doesn't happen, happens, then happens to be turned into something else, victims becoming perpetrators and so on, is incidental to the tale being told. There's a sentence midway through the novel where Maxie, confronting a street kid who always wakes up before he arrives, don't ask, it doesn't really fit into anything else, says something that pretty much sums up the way the plot works in this story.
0: Echoes of incidents came back to him one by one, and by a series of strange coincidences resonated with the present situation.
1: Resonance is the right word. Era has stated that he needs to fall in love with the opening of a story. It has to give him the momentum to push through to the end with as much speed and force as possible. And this brings me to the last point of the interview with a question that in many ways sums up the cesar Era reading experience. The question and answer are as follows. Endings are hard to get right. How do you know when a novel is finished?
0: I give them endings when they cease to commence. The function of a story is to open up our eyes, to show us the to be continued, a feeling that's tantalizing and mysterious. This need to provide an ending is a product of the commercialization of literature, a way of making the people who pay for it feel satisfied.
1: The satisfactions of César era's fiction, and there are many, come from different places. My recommendation after all this? consider reading something by César Era. perhaps not Shantytown, perhaps instead one of his more widely lauded works. His fiction is unique, and in a world where uniqueness is often touted and rarely delivered, that is more than enough reason to go there. A final note, for better or worse, or I should say, for better and worse, many of Era's fictions have been translated by Chris Andrews, who does the important work of getting the author's precise and odd tone into English but succumbs too often to shitty grammatical errors. To whom? With an M. The word none is singular, which means none are is improper. And by improper, I mean irritating. How many people at New Directions must have failed basic grammar in order for these errors and others like them to have made their way into ink? So I'm ending with a complaint, but whatever. It was a good book, and let's focus on the positives. Next up on Burning Books will be a review of Daniel Kalman's Measuring the World, which, if you want to hear the sound of a strip being removed, stay tuned, because that novel was just dreadful. Burning Books is part of the Litopia network of podcasts, and you can hear back episodes, subscribe, and reach me there via the email the show button, all by going to Lutopia.com, spelt the way it sounds, and following the link to Burning Books. I also enjoy getting your tweets, nasty and nice. I'm at Burning Books Pod. My thanks to Scott Esposito for commending me to the excellent interview. You're welcome. To Scott Harrison who played the voice of Scott Esposito in this podcast? <laughs> yes, people do say I look like Sean Penn. To Hakan Ozkan for the music? There are several ways to thank someone. So, let's start with the easiest. Teşekkürler. To Peter Cox, executive producer of the program.
0: The next one
1: is the letter H yeah you say that's so weird that's
0: what eight. i thought you said it's not
1: eight. it's not <laughs> and as always go jays Greetings, I'm Ian Nguyen, host of Latopia After Dark. As a Californian living in London, I have a special relationship with myself, and it's one I'd like to share with you. Okay, that came out wrong, but what I'm trying to say is, here on Latopia After Dark, we bridge the gap between nations, generations, people, and ideas. We reach out and, no, we don't touch people, but our guests are experts in their fields, all of them can read, and none of them take themselves too seriously. Or at least not for very long. Welcome to Latopia After Dark, a digital campfire for the internet age. So sit down, grab some wood, and get warm.
0: I'm gonna have to do this again, aren't I?